of No Challenges Remaining, live on site from Mason, Ohio. I am Ben Rothenberg, and joining me is my dear friend Courtney Nguyen. Hi, Courtney. Hey, Ben. How are you? Good. How's the last week in Ohio been for it's you, Courtney? It's been pretty fantastic. Um, Mason is Mason, mm-hmm. but um, which is a, a, a small town outside of, outside of Cincinnati, so don't let the Cincinnati aspect of it kind of fool you. It, it's quite quiet, yeah. but at the same time... It's been a great tournament. It's been a nice tournament. It was a nice week. It's um, a busy week. It's sort of a crazy week because everybody's building up for the U.S. Open. Correct. And everybody sort of has one foot in New York, writing-wise or coverage-wise in a lot of ways already. Everything you write has sort of a slant towards the U.S. Open. So in some ways you have to feel like, oh, no results matter. But at the same time, everything sort of is a possible tea leaf you can read into or something. So it's an interesting sort of week. And... It's a, it's a nice tournament. I mean, just it's very, very well run. We've been here, each of us, for three straight years now. So yeah. we like No, it. it's, uh, I've always said about Cincy is, uh, you know, is there a lot to do here? No. No. Not at all. I mean, you know, people have seen our tweets about Applebee's uh, and whatnot. But we're not making that up. We're not making it up. We, we went there, what, like four or five nights? I don't want to admit that much, but, yeah, <laughs> but I think we did go there something like four or five nights in a yeah, row. Yeah, but it, it's literally the only place to get food, you know, after after 11 o'clock at night. So, But the tournament itself, uh, the way that it's run, the volunteers are fantastic. Um, grounds are really nice. Grounds are, are great. Uh, I think the players enjoy, not the city, no. but I think that they do enjoy kind of how they're pampered. I think in yeah. Cincy, uh, which is quite good. So they're in a good mood. It's a it's a quiet place. And people are happy to have them here. Like yes. really, I mean, maybe that's the way it is at every tournament to a degree. But you get the sense that like people in Mason really are grateful that the tournament is here. Cincinnati, Greater Cincinnati, is grateful they have an ATP tournament because they're really the only. This is the only place between the coasts that Roger Federer ever goes. Exactly, and uh, we went to. The Marriott uh, restaurant slash bar mm-hmm. a couple of, of nights this, this week, and uh, a lot of the the bartenders and everything said they they really look forward to this week. This is the week that they talk about. So when you kind of take into consideration that level of hospitality, uh, of how excited they are, that's quite good. They have big draw boards in the lobby showing the draws. They have. A lot, the fountain in the lobby is filled with tennis balls, which must be really gross and soggy by the end. But, and you, you know, see some weird things. You do see Jack some Jack Sock things. dancing to some hip-hop. <laughs> that night was good. Mm-hmm. Melanie and Dan eating a salad. Right next not that there's of... anything remarkable about a salad. No, it's, it's not, but it's, uh, it's uh, accessible. It's a small town here. You can see, you know, yeah. we teach a chant at Starbucks. As I've, this, by the way, the As second time I've ever seen her at a Starbucks. She is a big Starbucks person. I hope she's on their rewards program because she could be saving a lot of money that way. She should. She should. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you just it's a very small town. You see small tournament, too. You feel like it's just like the way that all the facilities for media and players um, are sort of in one building. Yeah. That you run into people in the stairwell a lot. I yeah. mean, you can run into whoever it is. What was your best player kind of run-in that you had this week, Ben? Best? Well, I don't know about best. I mean... I don't know. Do you have a, do you have a quick answer to that question? Because I'm blanking. Uh, player run in. No, but I wasn't in the player lounge as much as you were. 
Oh, I mean, I was in the playground a couple times to get interviews with people, um, not players usually, like coaches and stuff. Usually, if it's like a coach or something yeah. you want, you have to go to the player lounge. Um, so no, I I don't think I really had run-ins. I saw um, the Bryans hang out with Michaela Bryan, who's uh, the best, one of the best tweeters in tennis. For sure. So I, I thought about getting some Twitter tips from her, but she seemed occupied. She's very popular. Though. Very, 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 popular. very popular. I had this is not a tennis interaction, but I was walking. Um, into some floor and had a, someone held the door open for me in front of me. So, oh, thanks. I looked up and it was a Rory McIlroy. Just a little weird. Fresh off his PGA win. Now, do you, when you see Roy, Rory McIlroy, do you think, holy crap, that's Rory McIlroy, like two-time major golf winner? Or do you see him as... Oh, I see, I see him as the guy that's next to Peter Wozniacki. He's Caroline's, <laughs> he's Caroline's boyfriend. boyfriend. I mean, that's just our tennis bias. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the ATPers really geek out over Rory, from what I've heard, sure. from uh, a lot of tour officials and stuff who are around him in the lounge, and they get a lot of photos with him. He had a photo with uh, Roger Federer this week that he posted on his Twitter yeah. and stuff. So I think that the eight, the guys really, really like him. But uh, for me, he's just he's just Caroline's boyfriend, you know. For sure, that, that's how I feel about it as well. And you know, I and follow he's, golf, and he's, but and he's really small in person. He is wee. Thing. He's a bit he is wee. small. Caroline's definitely taller than him. Yes. If we haven't already discussed this, which we probably haven't, because I don't know when it would have come up, but you know, sure. he's small, and he was wearing a very thick sweater at her match. That was which gross. A, a thick gray woolen hooded sweater, and it's not so much that he was wearing it that bugged me. I was just confused why he ever packed it. You know, there's a distinction. Why would you bring that to North American summer during August? Yeah. Why would you ever bring that? I don't yeah. know, but he apparently decided he needed it, so he knows himself. He's small, maybe doesn't keep a lot of heat. Sure. I don't know. So, yeah, You've so, never cuddled with him. You don't know. I, I have never cuddled with Rory McIlroy. That, that's correct. Breaking uh, news. Breaking news. It's breaking <laughs> exclusive, Colin. Uh, yeah, so aside from not cuddling with Rory McIlroy, I think it was a pretty successful week otherwise. I think so. I mean, I think that it was, um, you know, uh, it, it offered a bunch of storylines, yeah. I think, more so than Toronto or Montreal yeah. as to what would maybe happen at the U.S. Open and... I've written about this on SI that, that, you know, Roger Federer was quite adamant about this kind of notion that um, people read too much into kind of recent results yeah. as opposed to broader results. Yeah. But even when you take it from the broad perspective, I think that there's, there's quite a bit here. I mean, I think obviously Roger played fantastic tennis. I mean, it's, it's not just about the win over Novak today to, to capture his fifth Cincinnati title, record-breaking fifth. How um, many times? How many different tournaments has he won five times? Courtney? He has, buckle up, everyone. He has won five or more times at seven tournaments. That's incredible. That's incredible. Uh, U.S. Open, Wimbledon, World Tour Finals, Halle, Basel, and Rotterdam. No, Dubai. Dubai. Yeah. Yeah. So that's is, a lot. Yeah, it's, it's quite a bit. So um, it was. Uh, I don't. Obviously, that was quite nice to see. Um, but it, it, it offers quite a few storylines that where looking at the U.S. Open, you kind of don't really get a sense as to who is the favorite. Yeah, because also there's a few things about Cincinnati, especially this year. You felt like winning was good. I mean, someone won a lot. Like Federer obviously really sort of made his mark. Lena, women's side, made her mark, showing that she is playing very, very well. Kerber also. Yep. Uh, Kvitova. Kvitova, Venus. Venus. Those people all show they played well. However... Losing is, like, excusable here this week. Yes. And so Andy Murray loses 6-4-4-4 four, four four to Shardy. Um, Shardy, by the way, had a, has had a great summer. Um, great North American summer, anyway. 
you feel like, okay, you have excuses. We'll not read too much into this. But he, uh, here's a question for you, Ben. Um, when it comes to this notion of recency bias, mm -hmm. when it comes to this notion of, you know, uh, you know, do the, you know, do we read too much in immediate results? I don't think we do. Um, I think that if uh, people talked about, oh, you know, Novak, uh, he's been the best player in hard courts forever. He won the Australian Open, he won Miami. I didn't find those results particularly relevant this week. I mean, he is what he is now. I mean, and I don't think that he, I mean, obviously he had, had is better on hard courts than on softer surfaces, but I don't think that what he did there matters anymore. I think it's all about what he's done the last three months, and I think that maybe there are people who respond better to a certain tournament or certain swing than others. Obviously, somebody like Andy Roddick is always going to be, you can't have big stretches of the season that don't sure. matter for him, or uh, somebody like Nadal will always be Nadal on clay every year, no matter what he did in Miami and Indian Wells. Sure. Um, but yeah, I think for the most part, you can read into current patterns. So then uh, I will ask you this, mm -hmm. even though it is only like 10 minutes into the podcast. Okay. Based on Toronto and Cincinnati, who's your favorite going into the U.S. Open on the men and women's side? Federer. Um, I say that without hesitation, clearly. Sure. I mean, I think Federer, what he did at, the, at Wimbledon um, Olympics, that was that final, based on his body work, I had to think it's an aberration, just getting blown out of the water like that. Sure. And that was the emotional letdown from securing the medal. I think it was... Um, just all, Murray was amazing that day, but there's a, there's a lot going on there for Federer that makes it excusable, quote unquote. Um, on the women's side, Serena. I mean, it's it's hard to say not. I mean, she was bad this week. She was horrible Serena this was week. Awful in Cincinnati. Like awful, just awful, from awful, the first awful, match to yeah. to the quarters. Just awful horrible. without giving the sense that she wasn't trying right. to really. I mean, she said something like, "Oh, my body maybe was telling me I didn't want to win this match and needed rest or something," but. Serena, Serena committed to this tournament. You felt like she gave it a good effort. And, yeah, you can't be mad. She had a solid win streak going into this. She uh, did 19 so, matches, I think. Yeah, 19. And, uh, you know, one would think, uh, just given her kind of demeanor, that she would have loved to have had that streak yeah, going into the US Open. So, you know, I, she came up against Anjali Kerber, who had a great week. Yeah. I mean... Uh, beat Kvitova, beat Serena. Yeah, and, and really... I wouldn't say that she should have beat Lena. I, I'm not going to say that, but she... I would say that she should have won that match. Yeah. I'll say that. I will say that she was up 6-1, 3-1, and then won um, one more one game. game. One more game. That's not cool. That's yeah. not impressive. But what's your read on Kerber? What's your take? I Is she for real? She's definitely for realish. Um, <laughs> for realish? <laughs> for realish. I mean... Cop I mean, Kerber is somebody who I think is hard to sort of come up with a concrete read on because we didn't really know who she was as of uh, 12 months ago. We yeah. really did not. No. And but... so we, there's, the body work there is tough because this is the first time, this is only the second time in her career she ever even played in Cincinnati. Just read it that way. And not by choice. Not by choice because she just wasn't good enough to get into even qualies. Even qualies she couldn't qualies, get yeah, in. Yeah. So, because the quality cutoff here is pretty, pretty strict. Yeah. Because it's a pretty good tournament. So, yeah, I don't know what to think of her. I mean, mm -hmm. I like her. She's very consistent with her game. Um, but some of her, her body language and stuff is just weird. 
She's this. She's the most sarcastic body language I've ever seen in a player. It's you described it uh, when we were talking about her earlier today as uh, Jokovician. Yeah. I mean, she just Heather has this downtroddenness that doesn't really affect her play. She can still come out and play a great point, and it really was on display when she played Lasicki in the Wimbledon quarterfinals um, earlier this year. That she can look completely out of it. She can be sarcastically racket clapping, which no one else does. That's a unique Kerber move. Um, and then just win the match and just really yeah. not be anywhere near as out of it as she looks, which is what Djokovic does also. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I described it as Djokovician. I actually do think that her game is Novak-esque. Okay. Insofar as it, it's really, you know, defensive at its core. But she, unlike Wozniacki, who she's been compared with before... Um, she takes her opportunities, yeah. you know, on a short ball, she'll put it away. And she's a much better shot maker, I think. She's more like, she's more like Yankovic, really. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So Yankovic with a dash of sort of Klebanova, almost, the way she moves. The way, way she... that she covers, it's, it's, it's shocking. Yeah. Given her, kind of, she doesn't look like she'd be quick. Yeah, it's deceptive speed, which is a backhanded compliment, but we, we know what it means. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, she was, she was great. Um, but my description of her as Djokovician, uh, it really kind of came through, especially today, especially uh, the match that you mentioned against Lisicki, where she gets really negative and sarcastic. And today, she obviously didn't turn it around, but yeah. um, there were moments where it reminded me of Novak when he was down two match points to Federer in the semifinal, where the crowd was going nuts for Federer, and Novak kind of looked at the crowd with this sarcastic look on his face, like, yeah, sure, of course. You know, you're behind Roger, like, I'm going to lose, like, whatever. And he pulled it out of nowhere, and I feel like that mentality does actually apply to, to Kerber. Uh, that's really, to me, what she did against Lasicki. It's the um, mentality that comes from somebody who never was supposed to be, like, the one. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, Djokovic was never supposed to be, be in the same to really be interrupting Federer Nadal rivalry. I mean, he's sort of an intruder in the sort of narrative sense of it. Kerber, on a smaller picture, was never supposed to be the German number one. That was supposed to go Lisicki or Gerges or Pekovic in more recent times. Uh, uh, not her. And she's now up to number six next week. She is, which is higher than any other German girls have gotten in this Since sort of... Since Graf back in 91, 92. Something like that, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's, uh, she's, she's there now. She is... About 100 spots higher than she was this time last year. And it's just hard to know what to make of her. And can she win the U.S. Open? That's when the next step. Yeah, she's playing Dallas next week, which makes no sense to me. Um, but It's tough. I mean, yeah. obviously you and I discussed it probably 30, 45 minutes ago. Uh -huh. About the whole Kerber situation. Mm -hmm. And uh, whether or not she can win a slam. She's obviously made two slam semifinals. Um, she's the winningest player on the WTA Tour. She's notched wins over Serena, over Kvitova, uh, did she Kleisters. Kleisters. She crushed Kleisters in Wimbledon. Yeah. To the point where Kleisters was like, that was just like a whole new level of tennis that yeah. she was not used to. Um, she's beaten Sharapova in Paris. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So she's beaten the top. Everybody. Yeah. Not Razranka, but everybody else. Yeah, everybody else. So the question becomes with her... Can she win? Now, the, 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 the big titles. No. Now, the um, immediate comparison that you made is to Yankovic, mm -hmm. which I think is about right, because Yankovic at her prime, to me, 
was better than Wozniacki in her prime. Mm-hmm. So Wozniacki was much more defensive, much more waiting for the errors, whereas Yankovic in her prime did go for that backhand up the line, did try to control and dictate points when she was able to do it. And I think Kerber is much more in the J.J. mold yeah. and the Yan- Wozniacki And Yankovic, mold. unlike Wozniacki, but like Kerber, Yankovic got the big scalps. Yankovic yeah. beat Serena at the Australian Open, beat Venus at Wimbledon. I mean, those two results, those are both of their strongest slams, and she beat them there. That's impressive. She could beat anybody. I mean, she got Sharapova, she had a lousy head-to-head with, but sure. for the most part, you never could count J.J. out completely. Right. Now you can. But back then... <laughs> Back then, you were like, hey, JJ was one of our first casualties of this tournament, because we haven't talked to you all week, our dear listeners. JJ, on the first Monday of the main draw action, she came into the press room. Um, first, I ran into her on the porch, and she was just seeming happy, like, happier than unnaturally happy. And she came into the press room, too. It's very bubbly. She got some coffee, which is coffee in the press room. The weakest oh, thing was, was the weakest thing about the press Part room. Part of my far. French. And I love you since the tournament. You did everything right. But the coffee was horrible. The coffee was really, really bad. So, but luckily there was a Starbucks in one of the many strip malls here that we managed to finagle our way to. High five. So, yeah. So, that's what we did. And we went to Starbucks every morning. It was fine. We saw Alicia there. So, it was all for the best. <laughs> um, and, yeah. So, anyway. JJ gets her coffee. Goes on court. Plays a very solid match for the most part against Peng Shui. For a set and a half. She was fantastic. Set and a half. And then she was serving for the second set at 5-4, 6-5, I can't remember which one, and she got broken at love with two double faults, and then she lost the second set. Fast forward a little bit, she's in a third set tiebreak, gets five match points in that tiebreak, maybe one before the tiebreak, but five match points overall, does not convert to one of them, loses to Peng Shui, does not defend her finalist points here, now she might not be seated at the U.S. Open. So, that's a day in the life of Yelena. Given... JJ's results recently. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's a problem that she's not seated at the U.S. Open? I mean, it's a problem if she runs into Serena first round. Because she's been getting some tough draws lately. She has. Not entirely by her own fault. She was the 17th highest ranked player at the Olympics. The top, top unseated player of all. And she drew Serena first round. Can't do rough. worse than that. Very rough. She got the most dangerous floater at Wimbledon, who is Kim Kleisters. Yep. Can't do worse than that. So, and then she was a seed at Wimbledon. I mean, so, some of her losses have been excusable. Other losses, not so much. Losing to be very often aforementioned Letitia Chan. In Carlsbad, not a great loss. Losing to, I, she loses to a lot of people. She's probably going to lose this week in Dallas to somebody. She's in Dallas. I mean, she's clearly, in Dallas? She's in Dallas. JJ Good is in Lord. Dallas. JJ has, in case you haven't been keeping track, uh, she has played every week this year. Yeah. Not every week, like week, but every week that she was able to play. I mean, obviously the Grand Slams are two weeks. Indian Wells, Miami are kind of week and a half, two weeks, so she wasn't playing every week. But if you actually pair it up, she's played every available week. Pretty much. This year. Close to it. And has just been horrible. Yeah, she's been bad. She, We talked about her a little bit last episode, I think, but she she did look pretty good against Peng Shui. I mean, yeah. Peng Shui is a solid player. Getting to a third set tiebreak against Feng Shui is an accomplishment um, for her, given her state. How she managed to lose that match did not. Well, but how, but how she taste. managed to lose it, just like that match, just like you know what she did in Carlsbad. It's just purely mental. Yeah. You know, I mean, she has the opportunity to win those matches. She's it's against players who she shouldn't lose to, but the lack of confidence. 
creeps in in those moments, uh, those third sets. Whereas Kerber, her doppelganger, game-wise, has all the confidence. She just doesn't know how to lose. Yeah. It, I mean, I was admittedly a bit shocked that she lost to Lina today. Yeah. Uh, because uh, she just, what is it, 19-1? I think, or 19 and 2? 19, this is only her second three set loss of the year. Of the year. So that's a, that's pretty good. So, but Lina, let's talk about Lina. Okay. Lina won this title. Lina, who's like Petra Kvitova, never had much success on North American soil until this last fortnight or yeah. so. Then she made the final in Montreal, now won the final, won the final, won the title here. Uh, Lina is the US Open Series leader at the moment. She can get passed by Petra. If Petra stays around a long time in New Haven. Which she shouldn't. Which she probably shouldn't, but we'll see how much that's yeah. motivation for her. Because players ben. have done dumb things for that before. But Ben. But Courtney. But Ben. Yes. How do we feel about Carlos? Okay. <laughs> so we're getting right to that part. Um, Carlos Rodriguez, uh, longtime coach of Justine Ellen, uh, was revealed recently to be the new coach of Lena. Uh, she... After the Olympics, which she, where she lost first round, Olympics were, Olympics were a big deal to her. That was a yeah. big, big loss. Lost um, to Danielle Hantikova. First round, tough first round, but once she should win. One she On should grass. Win. Yeah. So, uh, <coughs> same Danielle Hantikova, who lost to Jamie Hampton at Wimbledon, let's remember. <laughs> so, Lena calls up her agent, Max Eisenbutt, and says, Hi, Max. How are you doing? He says, Good. Lena, how are you? He says, I'm, I'm okay. Husband's annoying me. <laughs> she makes a lot of husband jokes. <laughs> Uh, that's how that's my reenactment of the call. Actually, wasn't eavesdropping or anything. Sure. But uh, so she says, I need a coach. You know, I need another coach. So my, Max Eisenberg pulls out his long Rolodex and finds the name Rodriguez, comma Carlos there, and calls up Carlos Rodriguez, who was a longtime coach of Justine Annan and was not always necessarily revered figure in Pers tennis. Persona non grata, Pretty I think, much. in the WTA, WTA tennis world. Yeah. No. It's fair. He, well, that's I mean I wouldn't necessarily not go that fair, far. but it's that was that was what it was. I mean, basically, he was he got a lot of criticism for constantly coaching Justine from the stands. Um, he said some things that were not necessarily politically uh, savvy um, about the, the Williams sisters, about Kim Kleisters, about all of Justine's rivals, and uh, so he had some check marks against him. So when when we heard Lena, who was this. Very, not bubbly, but you know, like outgoing likeable. type person, like very likable person. With signing on Carlos, seemed a little strange given what we know, what we thought we know about Carlos. But Carlos this week has been just like nothing that that I expected or no. we expected. Yeah, I mean, I, I uh, you know, obviously you know, for most of the of Lethon's matches, once she paired up with Carlos, uh, both Ben and I, I think, were down courtside. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, sitting and trying to watch, and Carlos would come out, but we couldn't hear what was going on, obviously, because yeah. we were courtside. Can't hear his microphone. Yeah. So, so, but for the final, um, I, I stayed up top and you know wanted to hear what he had to say. He was phenomenal. He, he was, was exactly what you want in an encore. He was the coach. best encore coach I've ever ever heard. Because what was amazing about it, and and he said this. Uh, I don't know if people have read uh, Bobby Chitapali's, uh exclusive interview with him. At USA Today. Mm -hmm. But if you haven't, you should. Because it, it's quite illuminating. But um, one of the points that he makes is that with Justine, he was very, very conscious about the fact that... Not conscious, but like they grew up together. Yeah. He was paired up with Justine at 14 years old when she was 14. And, you know, uh, and that coaching relationship was very different 
to what he was going to experience with Lee Na, who is already an established player, yeah. a Grand Slam champion, mm-hmm. clearly has the tools, just needs to put it together. Yeah. Um, so it was interesting to hear that. And so with him on his coaching timeouts with Lee Na, he was quite just kind of coachy about it. You know, like, teachy. Like yeah, teachy. teachy. Exactly. There, there was like a give and take there that's, that's very, very rarely there um, in the encore coaching WTA. I mean, we have saw several times this week Angelique Kerber have her coach, her very, very tall coach. I don't know his name, but he's extremely tall. I've, I've seen, been around him several times this week. He's so tall. Sure. Like, really, really tall. I know I've emphasized this, but I want you to all realize how tall this guy is. <laughs> he's very tall. Um, and so... She, he'd be there and he'd be talking to her in German, which Courtney understands, I don't. And uh, he'd just be going on and on and Kerber would be staring straight ahead and not just acknowledging him, just like taking a sip of her water, staring straight ahead and not doing anything to make it seem like she knew that he was there. Lena and Carlos had a conversation and they talked about tactical things that were smart and it was tactics mixed with encouragement, which was very, very impressive. No, because after the first set, Carlos came out. And Lina had dropped the first set 6-1. And he had told her, you know, play with more spin, play with a little bit less pace, you know, fight, be patient, and you have to work. And which I was like, okay. <clears throat> Lina did that. She she worked. She she won that crucial game at like 2-3, yeah. I think, maybe? 3-4, uh, actually. There was a two, very, four. very long game. Nine, like deuce, nine deuces. Nine deuce game that Lina came through. And then she ended up kind of... You know, uh, running away with it. Yeah, running away with it. But the the coaching timeout that she had with Carlos after that set, you know, Carlos sat down and, and you know obviously he said good job for winning that set, and he asked her what did you think yeah. of that set. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, you know, when I play fast, she plays fast, so I yeah. play with more spin. Mini hand the ball hard. Yeah, I play with more spin, and Carlos kind of, you know, got a smile on his face. And he's like, you have more time? And she's like, yes, I have more time. When she plays with the spin, she can recover in the court yeah. and everything. And he's like, excellent. And I just thought that that was I mean, a tremendous difference to what we were kind of yeah. eh, not used to Justine. Because obviously we've never seen Carlos on court with Justine. Yeah, part, of it, part of it also is that he's speaking English now with Lina. It's the too. common language there. And so we don't have a lot of experience of Carlos in English. Yeah. Or even Lina's coaching timeouts in English. Yep. Or a lot of WTA players' timeouts sure. in English. I mean, we, for the most part, people translate it sometimes on Twitter, but we don't know what Piotr and Carolyn Wozniak are talking about in Polish. We can tell from gestures that it's generally not that give and take <laughs> and positive, but we don't we don't know what, you know, Marin and Walter Bartoli are talking about all the time. I and mean, even if I know some French, I can't always keep up with them. Uh, yeah, it's, so it's it's uh, it was interesting. It was illuminating and impressive. It was very, very impressive. It was impressive. I'm, I'm, you know, I came into the whole when I heard Lina and Carlos were working together. I was a bit uh, skeptical, mm-hmm. but after this week, and it has nothing to do with the results. It has nothing to do with the fact that she won, but just hearing him talk to the her chemistry there is amazing. Was really, really impressive. Yeah. And uh, I mean, as a former athlete, I, I kind of was like, that's exactly what I would want to hear. Yeah. In that situation, which which was quite nice. But. And if that that probably, I don't know that everything that we ever thought about Carlos was completely off base. I mean, we both were not inside the sport when we when Carlos was around for the most time. We not as much. We were just more fan on the fan side <clears throat> slash blogger side. Because he did was around us recently. It's 2011 with Justine in this latest incarnation. 
even if it really does not seem like Justine was around as recently as 2011. Um, but she was. And, yeah, so we don't know what to think. Maybe it's just, maybe this is him more matching what he thinks Lena's personality is. And maybe the old uh, version of Carlos is more a reflection of what Justine demanded as a player. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, so this, it's a different Carlos. And it's cool to see and it'll be interesting to see how that partnership plays out. For sure. So, that's Lena. What do we think of Lena's U.S. Open chances? Uh, you know, I think it's it's very draw-dependent. Mm -hmm. I think that she is a player who, she matches well with some and matches doesn't match well with others. I think that... Uh, Stozer. Yeah. You know, Stozer owns her, which is weird because Sam don't own nobody. Yeah. Uh, but, but Sam does own Lena. Uh, but, um... What was what was encouraging about her run this week is her saying that she's hungry again, mm -hmm. um, that she's trying, and I, I feel like the the Carlos um, pairing has injected some energy Absolutely. into her camp, which is quite good. And now with with the final in Toronto or Montreal, and the the title here in Cincy, I feel like she does believe. Yeah, and she and, does want more. You get the sense and she's that she's so mental yeah. that like. That belief is is just volumes. The hunger, I mean, she had to be the opposite of hungry. It's so full after she won the French Open and went back to China and got millions upon millions. They're talking like nine-figure kind of money, honestly, yeah. that she was getting. How can you not lose your hunger when you get that you're much done. money? I mean, you're just like, you're she's set. set for life. She's set for life. And so having her get that back is pretty cool. Also, one more thing on Carlos, um, which Lena actually brought up first is that, um, like Roy McElroy, he's very small in person. Yes. He is tiny. He's Carlos weak. Is, Carlos is small. He's skinny. He's very, very skinny. Um, maybe he looked bigger standing next to Justine. I don't know, because Justine was pretty <laughs> small herself. But yeah, so that's the Lina saga. We're interested to see what she does. But, I mean, I, w I will say, I'm, I'm excited about the U.S. Open on, on, for many different levels. Yeah. Uh, obviously... Vika, Sharapova, Serena, regardless, uh, Sharapova didn't play at all. Nor did Vika. Uh, Vika played a few set, a few games, uh, and then she retired, and then she withdrew from Montreal. Oh, did she? Right, okay. So, she played a yeah, little bit. Yeah, she retired because of her rain delay. Right, right. Um, yeah, she was delayed and then brought to, to the next day, and she retired. Yeah. Sharapova hasn't played at all. Serena might as well not have played this week. She was absolutely horrible. Horrible. Yeah. From first match to last, she was crap. Um, and then on top of that, you have Kvitova, who makes the final and semifinal, Montreal and Cincy. You have Lina, who makes uh, final, final and title yeah. here in uh, Cincy. You have Kerber, who is just looks solid. So solid. So tough. Such a tough out. Yeah, a tough out. Such That's an incredibly tough out. Same sort of thing we said with Wozniacki and Yankovic. She's a very, very tough out. You have to beat her. She will not give you. Yeah. Much. Well, she kind of gave Lena the third. A little bit with Lena, but but uh, against Kvitova. Yeah. She didn't give Kvitova anything. Kvitova yeah. played well enough in the semifinal to be able to beat Most probably time. anybody but Kerber. Just about. Yeah. I mean, so Kvitova. We haven't talked about Kvitova. We didn't do a show after Canada, but Kvitova. Petra's back, yo. She is. She got a little bit of swagger. Yeah. She got that hunger, that fire. She believes that she can win in North America. Yeah. It's quite good. The women of summer 2011 are kind of back. Here's my question to you, Ben. Okay. What was your favorite Kvitova presser moment of there this were, week? 
There were a lot. I mean, Petra, Petra. Well, but, but can you describe to people? Because a lot of fans don't really get the Petra thing. They see the, the violent pilting. They see this person who looks a bit blank mm -hmm. when she steps on court. What, what is charming about Petra from a media perspective, I guess? I mean, a lot of, from a fan perspective, I guess, anyway. People, um, people like Juan Martin Del Potro. And many people call Petra Kvitova of a Del Petra. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of similarities there. She, uh, she has that same sort of, sort of intensity that can come on and off during matches. The same sort of, not effortless, but just like jaw-dropping power from her forehand that just ends points at will when she's on and can be really sort of fear-inducing for opponents. She also has this way of talking that's just sort of humble, but also unique and just sort of charming in its own way. She uses the word the a lot in a lot of ways <laughs> that are very amusing. She said, well, she just, um, because it's a Czech to English translation thing, like, they don't use articles the same way, so she injects all these thes where she thinks they should go, and they don't really go. She says, well, I was playing the Wimbledon, and it was not too much the Windy, and I was going to play mixed doubles with the Roddick, Stefanik, and it didn't happen, so... I am not too much so sad about it, but you know, I try. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good picture. That, that's pretty much what it is. But it's all. But it's said with a smile, and she's so unassuming, and just seems very much, just you know, herself, and just very calm and okay very with calm. things. Yeah. Very calm. I, I think that that's the one thing that really struck me when I talked to her at Wimbledon. Mm -hmm. Obviously, she's going back there, and she has to mm -hmm. defend the title and. All these sorts of things, so obviously everybody's asking her about it, and she was so calm and so just kind of almost like uh, when I think of Kavitova, mm -hmm. the mental image I get is just a shoulder shrug. Yeah, she's like, Yeah, if I win, I win, if I don't, I don't. Mm -hmm. Um, and she was thoroughly frustrated after her loss to the lead off. Yeah, um, and I think that her, came her loss to uh, Kerber, Kerber, sorry. Um, and it, it, it kind of came through, and in the press conference, she was a bit kind of just like, I made a shitload of mistakes, uh, was really her read on it. Yeah. Um, and she was asked, interestingly, who she thought would win the final. And her answer was one of the most declarative I've ever heard to that question. No hesitation. No hesitation. She was like, Lina. Lina will win the final. Um, because unless she plays crazy or whatever. And it was sort of a shot at Kerber, which was very not okay. keeping with Kvitova's sort of keeps to herself, you know, type thing. Or not keeps to herself, but, you know, isn't going out of her way. Non-controversial. Not controversial thing. But this yeah. was very much her saying, oh, Lena will win. Yes. Which she wound up being right, but it was not as easy as uh, maybe Petra thought it would be. Sure. So Petra left the press conference at her semi and said, good night, and walked out the room. Very you know. cheery. I mean, it, it, admittedly, I laughed a lot. Because yeah. it was quite an emo press conference yeah. on the whole. I mean, yeah. Petra was very disappointed. She clearly, not that she didn't know what had happened in that semifinal, but she was just kind of like, eh, I, I screwed up. Yeah. I think was, was kind of the, the read. And then as she got up, she's just like, you know, dead silence in the press conference room because we were waiting for Kerber to mm -hmm. come. So we're like, okay, Petra's done and she's going to get up and leave. She gets up, she's like, good night. And I think I literally looked. You burst, you burst out laughing. I burst out laughing and everybody's making fun of me. I'm like, I'm sorry, but it's, it's Petra. It's, she's harmless in every way. She's very sweet. Very, very, very sweet, sweet girl. You know, you ask her a question, she, she tries to answer it as, as best she can. She doesn't blow you off. 
uh, very direct. Yeah. Uh, and it's uh, it's a nice thing as, nice. A, as a as a member of the press corps. As someone, I mean, it's interesting that the relationships we have with players, and to a different extent, other writers are not typical work relationships based on just the unique press room dynamics of everything. But you do appreciate when someone you have to work with in your own way is a nice coworker. And Petra, not that she's you know coworker by any conventional definition, but in the fact that she is somewhat of a she colleague or something. Yeah. She she's very pleasant to work with and it's it's a it's a delight. So. I've always said that about Sharapova. Yeah. Is that very professional. Uh, as much as people want to rip on her for being I mean, she is not warm in her no. press conferences. But she is someone who I think understands that the writers are there to do a job, which is we got we gotta write about you. Yep. She's like, I'm a brand. Yep. I need people to write about me. Yep. And she gives good quote. She takes every question seriously. She yep. doesn't really blow you off. Yep. Which a lot of players will. Yep. You know, if a player thinks that you're asking a stupid question, they'll just be like, Really? Yeah. And just blow you off. But Sharpova, stupidest question, she'll still answer it. She might sort of make a little joke at the beginning, For but sure. then she'll give you some sort of... She'll give you a quote. Yeah. She'll give you an answer you can use. She's she's um, sometimes mechanical in her pressers, sure. but, but she, she's But not very mechanical in a cliched way. No. Because there are players who I feel like, you know, just kind of barter in cliche. Yeah. That when they lose, all it is is like, I, I tried as hard as I can, that's all I could do. Like, you both know, teams they played hard, really well. Yeah. Both, you know, both people. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, well, I can't really use any of this. And this was quite a bit of a waste of my time. Yeah. But I, I genuinely never feel that that Sharapova's press conferences are a waste. So we're still what, gonna quote. Let's talk about Pova. She okay. was not here. She was on a billboard that we saw every single day when we were driving into the grounds that said, I believe the billboard said like, all the stars are here or something. I had a no, picture. the best. All the best are here. And had a picture of Maria Sharapova, which, oops. So, what do we think about Maria Sharapova, and to a lesser extent, or to a different extent, Azarenka's U.S. Open chances, given that we have very, very little data on them recently. At least, they both won medals at the Olympics. We know something about them, but we don't know what they're going to do, what they really are up to in the U.S. on her court. So, what do we think? I mean, my my sense is a little bit that you you have to see what happens in the first couple rounds. Mm-hmm. First few rounds, I think that uh, you know Azarenka played all right. Uh, Sharapova obviously hasn't played at all, but uh, Sharapova has won the U.S. Open. She, uh-huh. she loves the, the the hard courts. Um, so it's it's really just a matter of playing into form. So it will depend a lot on the draw to give her, and both of them, both Azarenka and Sharapova, some time to kind of find their best. Uh huh. But it's tough. I really feel the WTA is really tough to handicap right now because you have you have Azarenka Sharapova. Um, I wouldn't include Radvanska. In yeah, Radvanska was awful in this yeah, U.S. Open series. Yeah, she was series. really bad, and she was she's ranked number two. But and at the Olympics, and yeah. at the Olympics, she and she also was saying a lot of things, like I'm going to do everything in my power to be number one. Not positive. And then she added. If only for a week, which yeah. I thought was ridiculous. No, it, it's just not positive. So I would, I would say Azarenka, Sharapova, Serena. Serena's number one. Yeah. Still, Serena is a player to beat for, for sure. sure. And I do think that until proven otherwise, the US Open, everyone else is playing for second. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. Yeah. So you have uh, Azarenka, Sharapova, Serena, Kvitova, and Kerber. One I player. Think that's that's the set. Not Sam. No. Not Venus. 
Venus. Let's talk about Venus. Okay. Venus is the one semifinalist here we haven't talked about yet. Sure. On the women's side. I know that you're high on the Venus. I, I am high on the Venus, as Petra would say. I am not playing too much against the Venus. <laughs> um, she hasn't played Venus very much, so she is not playing too much against the Venus. Sure. Um, Venus reeled off wins in her first run against Kirilenko, then went on to beat Sam Stoser. Um, also got a win over, who was the other big person she beat? Who? Um, she beat, yeah, who did she beat third round? Here? Yes. She beat Skeppers and in between Irani that. first set. Irani third. Irani third round. So she beat. And she was the Kirilenko, best Kirilenko, destroyed Irani, beat Stoser in a tough, fairly pretty good high quality yeah. match. And lost in three to Lee, no, in two or three. In three, in three to Lina, despite having no serve whatsoever. Sure. Like, she was serving in the 80s because her back was hurting her. So, my takeaway from that is that Venus can beat anybody. Right. And, and she can also, maybe not her sister. I don't, she cannot beat her sister. But anybody sure. else, anybody else she can beat. Sharapova? Yeah, absolutely. Azarenka? Absolutely. You're high. So, <laughs> so, so that's my take on Venus. Um... Maybe I'm drinking a little Kool-Aid from having been around, seeing so many of her matches this week. Sure. I saw more of her, because she's someone to write about, because it's just, you never know what's going to happen with her. Yeah. And, but she's still, I don't know. I put her and Kleisters in the same sort of boat for this sure. US Open. I think sure. that they're both floater, well, no, Kleisters will be a low, a high seed, but a seed. Venus will be unseeded, and she's very, very much the name to watch in the non-bolded names. That's totally fair. So. Totally fair. And the Shogrins did not seem apparent at all this no. week. No. She said she feels like she has it more under control. It showed. Her back is acting up. She had other things wrong, but for once, it was not about the how are you feeling, Venus. It was about the what's going on with your serve, Venus, or the, you know, your, I don't know, your, your her serve. Her serve Basically, was Venus up. didn't get thrown a card. No. She didn't get cut slack. No. And that's different for her. And she even said yeah. something to the effect of Serena and I were one and two in the world before all this stuff started falling apart for us. Now we want to get back there. So that was um, oh, a confident statement, to say the least. So, so yeah. So, shall men. we talk about the men? Yeah. All right. This tournament was won by Roger Federer. Courtney, what do you make of Roger Federer? He was fantastic this week. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I, I didn't expect the final that we got. I, I probably expect the second set to be the first set. Uh -huh. No breaks, straight to a tie break, because neither Roger nor Novak going into the final hadn't broken. Yeah. The fact that Roger uh, didn't face a break point against Novak in the final was quite notable. Very. To me. Um, Novak, who, by the way, is called the best returner in the best game. Best returner in the game. But, I mean, if we're going to add some caveats to it, I do feel like. Cincinnati is not the U.S. Open. That's true. Cincinnati is fast. Yeah. Djokovic pointed that out very... Um, Immediately. Very, very forthrightly. He was like, you know what? This all doesn't bother me. And before the match, Federer was downplaying it too. Yeah. Federer was not downplaying it so much after having bagel Djokovic. It was super special afterwards. Yeah. Before the final, it was like, it doesn't mean anything. It was like the Olympics almost. When you win it, yeah. it's the best thing ever. When you lose, eh, it's just the Olympics. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, so that was different, and that was interesting. I don't know what we can read into it. Um, well, do you think that Federer is the favorite? If you had to tap yes. one favorite. I think I already said this earlier in the podcast, but yes. Federer. Why? He's my favorite because he won Wimbledon. He 
it's serving amazing. I mean, the, the no break, the get, not getting broken once thing, that's sure. not an accident. I mean, he is hitting his spot so well on his serve. He's all the back issues that seem to be plaguing him in the cold of London yeah. are not anymore in the warmth of the beautiful American summer. <laughs> and yeah, so he is doing great and looks sharp, looks motivated. Um, Rafa's out of the picture, which helps him. Yeah. He matches up pretty well against uh, Djokovic and Murray, or at least adequately. And yeah, I think he's uh, the player to beat until proven otherwise. Murray and Djokovic are still in the conversation. Uh, Del Potro is the next one in that conversation, I think yeah. almost indisputably at this point, because he hasn't walked into any fire hydrants, unlike some <laughs> of his colleagues. Um, so yeah, so I think that's it. And we'll see how the draw plays out, because... Like at the Olympics, with Rafa out, there will be a soft half of this draw. Yeah. And Djokovic could be on the half that doesn't have Federer or Murray. Yeah. And so, and hopefully, um, the way it works out just for draw stability purposes is that whoever, is that Ferrer and Del Potro are in the same quarter. Yeah. Ferrer is the weak link of the four, top four now. Del Potro is the strong of the next one. So hopefully that keeps it level. Because we've gotten really spoiled lately with really, really even ATP draws. Sure. Um, in a way that probably we're not entitled to be. So, yeah. so that's that's uh, Federer. What do you think of Djokovic and his form, or what do you make of what do you make of Djokovic's week? Uh, it's not about the week for me. Okay. Um, and I've written about this, but uh, I kind of feel like Novak has not shown up against the Big Four. Yeah. Since Monte Carlo. Since leaving hard courts. Since Miami. Yeah, but he won Miami. Yeah, yeah, since Miami. Yeah. Um, because he goes and blitzes through the field. But when it comes up against the, one of the other three guys, he just hasn't shown up. And yeah. um, He beat, you know, he did beat Federer in the uh, French Open Stanley. Well, sure, but Federer but was awful. Federer was horrible. He had yeah. no business losing that match, Federer. Federer was up a break. Second and third set. Yeah. And can't close it mm -hmm. you know and uh so you know i i do have concerns about novak i i feel like if i were to handicap it i feel like murray is a better pick to me than, than novak at this point just because murray has at least shown that against the best he can't bring his best now he even is, when yeah. he lost to to federer at the, yeah. at wimbledon he was still that was the, as good the, as andy could in do the, in the lendl era Murray has played the best very solidly. Absolutely. In Australia against Novak, he was very, very solid. In Miami against Novak, he was decent. Sure. He was not at his best that day, honestly, okay. but he was okay. And the French, uh, he didn't play anybody. He didn't make it the semis of the French at the Wimbledon, at the Wimbledon, according at, to Petra. Yeah. The Wimbledon. Um, he made the final, beat, yeah. you know, did doing yeah. good things. So and I, I would, and I do and think. the Olympics. I mean, he, yeah. he made a fool out of Djokovic and Federer. Pretty much. The semis to the finals. Pretty you know? much. So I part of probably, the great British sweep of the Olympics that we were that made us all so proud. Made us, made us all want to get on our track cycles. Don't start bad on this. You you guys cannot hear the eye rolling that's going on <laughs> that I can see. Track cycling is so stupid. I don't know if we talked about this in the last show. No, we did. We probably not. did, but track cycling is just beyond dumb. Like who rides a bike indoors? <laughs> Who? That's fair. Who hands out 10 medals for riding a bike indoors? Britain. You know, we have we ride our bikes indoors in these states, and we just call them spinning classes. <laughs> we don't hand out gold medals. We don't knight Chris Hoy. <laughs> Who? 
No, just not, none of that. None of that, Britain. I have, I have no patience whatsoever for track cycling. None. None so, at all. Nor do I have patience for equestrian, which is the other sport that they racked up all their medals on to be the third place country, quote unquote. Eye rolls completed. Let's move on back to so tennis. I, I, can't, I can't talk uh, about the British people winning. Do you want to take anymore. questions? Do we have questions? We do. Awesome. Okay. We asked quest for questions at 11.30 on a Sunday night, and yeah. you guys delivered. You guys are the best. Seriously. Okay. Let's see if these questions are any good first. Uh, first question. Okay. From at for all surfaces. Okay. Okay. Question is, this is more of a U.S. Open preview question, cool. but Rafa thoughts. My, my, my U.S. Open preview will only mention Rafa in passing because Rafa will not be playing in the U.S. Open. I actually did get a little annoyed at some person who tweeted me when I was tweeting about Cincinnati. They said, but what about Rafa? Why aren't you talking about Rafa? It's like, well, Rafa's not here. I mean, we talk, I mean, Rafa, that will be what's happening during the US Open. And there was a woman who brought a sign to every single match she was at Cincinnati. It said, Rafa, you are missed. And okay, I understand that Rafa has fans. But just um, a disclaimer for the Rafa fans who may be listening to this, Rafa will not be a major topic of conversation at the US Open because simply he is not there. Nor are we talking about any other player who's not there very much. Um, that said, what we make of Rafa's injury and his prospects is tough because we don't know a whole lot. Um, we're, I think everybody's a little bit surprised that he's missing the U.S. Open yeah. and that he has missed um, Cincinnati. As he has. I think people were actually, I think Cincinnati was when people were first like, whoa, because when he missed Cincinnati, you got a sense he probably was going to miss, or the U.S. Open became yeah. very much in doubt. Um, and he had been practicing. He put Facebook photos or updates showing himself oh, practicing or in the gym. No, but he did an update about the court that didn't have the photo okay. in it. Had a photo of like a soda can. It was a terrible photo. I don't know what <laughs> you're doing, Benito. Um, or whoever took that photo. But yeah, so what do we make of him? I do think that um, part of it is... I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to think. Courtney, I'm going to pass the ball to you for now. What do you, what do you think about Rafa? Uh, no, I, I I don't know what to think of either. I mean, I think that um, I'm probably a bit more uh, positive okay. than, than most. I Just because of his history. I mean, he's pulled out of majors before, mm -hmm. and he comes back with a vengeance. I think that, uh, especially with this year, with the way that the, the calendar was set up, that, uh, you know, you could you could have a situation where he was a bit more uh, stressed, I suppose, after, you know, clay season and whatnot. I do think that, because this was a quote that, that really lived with me for a while, was I think maybe in Rome, because uh, I was in Rome, uh, but I think it was in Rome, where Rafa said, you know, the fact that, uh, more ma that he wished that more matches had been played on clay. Yeah. That he felt like the clay was much easier on the body, that players would last longer mm -hmm. if there were more clay tournaments. And here's Rafa, who effectively picked this up right after the clay season where he ran the tournament from Monte Carlo to Barcelona. You know, obviously he lost early in Madrid, won Rome, and then won the French Open. And uh, I, I do think that, that his argument is a bit undermined by, by kind of how his body reacts to it. I think, I think that's interesting. I think that the other thing that I can't 
um, avoid when thinking about the timing of Rafa's injuries is that for the most part they have followed these landmark sort of losses in his career that the two times he has pulled out of slams they were preceded by damaging losses at other slams to players like uh, Robin Soderling at the French Open 2009 and then Lucas Russell in 2011 at Wimbledon, uh, 2012 excuse me, at Wimbledon. And when he talks about his injury, he doesn't explicitly say, I'm too hurt to play, or the pain is too much, at least in this more recent go-around in 2012. I don't remember the exact phrasing in 2009, but he's saying things like, I am not in condition to play, I am not ready to play, things like that. And I think in some ways the losing just sort of hurts his confidence with regards to his health. Um, that the chronic knee pain is there and it's always going to be there and we shouldn't underestimate how painful it is to him or how disruptive it is to his training, etc. But it really only becomes a totally disruptive force when, or it, it becomes more of a cause of self-doubt and whatnot when he is losing, when he does lose a match, he doesn't feel like he should lose, whether it's his first loss at Roland Garros ever, or a loss to somebody who's barely inside the top 100 at Wimbledon, that's when he starts, you know, really feeling the hurt of these injuries more and more, and starts thinking that the standard of what he has to do is, you know, greater and greater. So, that's my basic take on that. I don't think that we know really from there what to think too much about his injuries. And we'll see. I think that he'll probably be back um, at the latest. I mean, I don't know. You think he'll be back for Australia, Courtney? I think so. Yeah. Absolutely. Even though it's a hardcore tournament? Absolutely. Okay. No doubt. I, I would agree with you. How about, how about this year? Davis Cup final? Ah, tough call. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he'll play if he's not 100%. Yeah. I think that uh, there's no benefit in that, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. What I mean, they could get Argentina, which could be tough with uh, Del Potro and Monaco both in top sure. ten now. Monaco is in the top ten. That's just kind of weird. It's weird. It is He's a little strange. He's the Ronnie of top ten. He is without the Grand Slam final, exactly. or even the Grand Slam quarterfinal. There you go. So uh, has he ever made a quarterfinal, Monaco? I don't think so. Of a slam? Yeah. No. Never even a quarter. His best was uh, Miami quarters. Yeah, semis in Miami. Yes, amazing. Same as in Miami. So that's that's Juan Monaco. So, um, uh, Spain. More questions. Okay, more questions. Moving on. Uh, Jacqueline0812. Hi, Jacqueline0812. She asks, tell us about the best Applebee's moments from Cincy. Oh, good. This is a good question. Yeah. Ben has a few. Do I? Okay, so I think the one we're thinking of mostly is the first night we went to Applebee's. Um, we actually held off on going to Applebee's a couple days. But can we just stop and explain why we're going to Applebee's? That we're not going because we love Applebee's. We're not going because we like it. No one goes to Applebee's because we like because they like it in the Cincinnati sense, sure. in, the, in the tournament sense. Okay. Anyway, maybe somebody out there does like Applebee's. Bless Presum you. Presumably they do. <laughs> it's state of business, they have locations all over the country where you can eat good in your various neighborhoods. <laughs> um, but we go to Applebee's because it's open late. Open till midnight. Because what time are we usually leaving site? About 11.15. And so, if we stay for any part or all of the last night match, we're there late. So, we go to Applebee's. And mind you, the reason that we're staying at the last night match, because we like the WTA. Pretty much. Because the women are typically the second on. More and more this year. That was yeah. not typical last year. This was a big decision for this year. Sure. 
So yeah, we watched a lot of a lot of we Lee Kirstea first round. Yeah, we'll be there till the last ball. And we will live tweet it. And we will live tweet it and we will Instagram it and we will <laughs> wait for Lena and press afterwards. Bless. That's what we do. Um because Lena's worth staying up for. Yeah. In press. She's great. Um so anyways, this Applebee's moment was I'm not sure exactly which day, but um we were walking in and I see to my right as I walk in the recent gold medalist uh, Brian Brothers and they are sitting there eating dinner together with one of their agents or one of the people who works for Lagardere their agency which is fine except that they're wearing it's about 11.30 at night uh, well past any time they would have been on court and they are wearing their red striped white Olympic kits with their uh, I think they are both wearing hats I'm not sure if they are wearing hats but they were both wearing their match outfits with shorts sitting them next to each other, looking like they were in like a sports center commercial. Like they were these people who were in their outfits of their profession all the time. And then we sat down and a few half hour later the Bryans left the restaurant and they got up and they were each holding a racket. What? What what are you doing in match attire with match equipment at Applebee's at midnight, Brian Brothers? What are you doing? I don't know. I don't know what they were doing. So that was my moment at Applebee's. Um, Courtney, have it, did you have a separate one? I don't think I had a separate one. I mean, we were uh, Apple, at Applebee's quite a bit with uh, Alexander Dolgopolov and Coach. Yep. They sat near us a couple of times. Um, so Leander Pays. Leander Pays was there quite frequently. Nils Ronich. The Ronich was there. Ronich Camp. Uh, uh, Dimitrov. Yep. Up, the Italians, uh, Ronnie and Vinci, were there yes. after Ronnie lost in singles. And Maria Jose Martinez Sanchez and uh, Nuria. Nuria Dominguez Lina. No, Nuria Jacostera. Okay, whatever. Bebe. They were there too. Uh, I didn't Paola have. I, mean, I feel like Ben's story kind of takes the case. That was. I just found that weird. And mm-hmm. and um, we mentioned earlier in the show who people were at the hotel and stuff. We didn't see as many people as we did past oh. years in Mason because okay. we were. A little on different time schedules, and I think people are staying at more different hotels now at Mason, which is all well and fine. Sure. Um, so yeah, but we did see that. We saw the transcriptionists, who we know and love, love dearly, who make our adore. lives so much easier. If you're a tennis fan, you love them too, because they've read, they've written, they've typed almost every single word that you've read in any transcript. Yep. So they do great work, and we saw them out late a lot, so that was nice. ASAP and Sports Forever. ASAP Sports for Life. Yeah. And yeah, so that was that was pretty much it at Mason Applebee's. Okay. Um, we have another question. Yes, we do. Right, we let's have go, many Courtney. questions actually. Oh wow, keep them coming. So the next one is from at Curtos07. Hi, Curtis. Uh, so the question is, how does the Cincy tournament as a whole stack up against other combined events on tour, such as Indian Wells, Miami, Madrid, Rome, etc.? Okay. Well, first of all, Curtis, let me say this tournament was much weakened by the loss of Anna Ivanovich in the field. You're, just, you're so pandering. I try to pander to Curtis. I know, <laughs> I know, I know, I know where Curtis's loyalties lie um, from Twitter very well. Question, how does it stack up? It's different because it is more than the other ones mentioned, absolutely a warm-up tournament. I mean, it really does look like a mini U- like a Midwest US Open in a lot of ways. And it very much is on the eve of that tournament in a lot of ways that I think even like Rome isn't, you know? Yeah, that's fair. It's in, it's in the same country. Sure. It's much closer geographically. Um, Indian Wells and Miami are on their own part of the schedule. Um, but how do I think it stacks up? Uh, well, I mean, the organization tournament itself is 
really, really great. Top notch. I don't think there's any. I mean, I don't think there's anything much better, if better at all. Indian Wells is in the same breath as it for sure in terms of ease of use for media. But Indian Wells gets the benefit of being kind of like that IMG backed kind of style yeah. of tournament, whereas I feel like since he since like homegrown, it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. really has a really midwestern feel to it. It has. The volunteers are great. They brought in like seven different varieties of Rice Krispie treats today for the final. And Ben is still on the sugar high. I sort of, I had to sample each one. I'm a journalist. <laughs> I have to do my due diligence. <laughs> so I will say the best one was the pecan one. That was a, that was incredible. You would never think about mixing pecans and Rice Krispie treats and the flavor they infused into the marshmallow as well as the texture variety. <laughs> really, really top notch. So if you have any You don't pecans understand. I'm looking around, at Ben right now and he's literally like salivating at the corner of his mouth. A little bit. A little, <laughs> little drool happening here. But uh, but yeah, those were great. And the tournament's great. People are yeah. people are very... The Williamses were going on about how nice people are here in the Midwest. Um, they get great card support here. Probably almost arguably better percentage-wise than anywhere else in America. I've seen well, Miami, they do very well. But this was this was big. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it's actually very well. How about yourself? You've been to more of those tournaments than I yeah, have. Yeah. No, I've been I've been to the European ones. I've been to Madrid, and I've been to Rome. Uh, I, I I think that I would probably agree with Ben that uh, you know one of the things that doesn't help Rome or Sydney, which is also lead up or Eastbourne, uh -huh. whatever it is. Is that it doesn't feel like a lead up necessarily. Yeah. Like Rome is a standalone tournament. You yeah. win Rome. It's uh it's a feat. Yeah. Uh same with Eastbourne, same with Sydney, whereas it really did feel uh this week at Mason that regardless of what the results were, yeah. what you were paying attention to was the level of play. Yeah. Sydney I think is a little bit of that. Oh yeah, I would say the Sydney is it doesn't have the field. It doesn't have the field. No, no, it doesn't have the field. But, uh, you know, it was one of those fields where you felt like you wanted to watch as many matches as you could to get a sense of how everybody was doing. Yeah. Because it didn't have to do with who won. Yeah. So that was quite nice. And I think that this tournament, I mean, I've recommended this tournament before to people. For sure. Who, if you live in this sort of region of the country, Midwest, um, or even some parts of the East Coast, I don't know if you live in, like, the South, or if you live somewhere where it's just easier for you to get to Cincinnati, it's easier to get to New York. I recommend this. It's it's just sure. if you just like tennis, um, no doubt. you just see you see everybody. You come for tennis. You come for tennis. You come and you mm -hmm. come for tennis players too. If you want to see sure. a Federer, it's a great place to see Federer. You can go see him practice in a very accessible way, even if it is crowded. You can go see him play matches and get better seats than you're going to get at Ash for anywhere near the money. You can see Serena assuming she shows up. You can see yeah. Rafa if it's a year that he's there, because he's usually here. And you can see everybody. And uh, it's it's a cool place to be, and I highly recommend it. It doesn't have the ambiance of an Indian Wells with the scenery and stuff. Or Miami. I mean, or Miami. Logistically, it's much nicer than Miami. Yeah. Energy-wise, comparable Miami. The crowds were great this week. The crowds they got, were fantastic. I mean, yeah. especially certain sessions. Late rounds were all sold out, pretty much. Federer sold out every session he was in. Yeah. Serena got very good crowds herself, so sure. it was cool. It was, yeah, it's yeah. a great, it's a very solid tournament. Much so. Okay, next question. Okay. <clears throat> uh, from at underscore panders. Okay. Hi, panders. Hi, panders. Any thoughts on why Kara Waz doesn't take great revenge of the coaches within the Adidas player development program? Good question. Pan at, uh, un at underscore panders. A lot of punctuation going on yep. there. 
the Adidas coaches are. It's like it's, it's weird. It's an it's an. What's it's, your take on the ADPD? I have a lot of thoughts on the ADPD. AD just a. Adidas. Oh, sorry. A APDP. Uh, Adidas Player Development Program. Okay. APDP. Um, I basically I think that. If you're a player who really wants to make it to the top, you can't rely just on that. Agreed. Coaches there, you basically have are on a rental basis almost. You don't get to keep them. Anastasia Pavlyuchenko right now gets the hottest commodity of the group, which is Darren Cahill. Sure. And um, it's helped her a lot. Coach. Her results, she played great this week. She really did. She it played very, very good, Pavlyuchenko. And uh, yeah, she was very solid. And it was uh, in her his work really showed. Um, the other coaches there are Sven Grunfeld and Matt Smirkel. He's a hitting partner. I don't he's a hitting coach. partner. Okay. And so, so there's anybody but Gil. Gil Gil Reyes, who does more more physical conditioning type stuff than yeah, tennis. But, but no, I think it, it's yeah. primarily Sven and. Uh, so basically, Darren. I think if you want to be based in Las Vegas, it can it could be there as a base for you. However, I don't necessarily know the results. People who do take that route necessarily are that impressive. I mean, Pavlyuchenko is someone who spends a fair amount of time in Vegas, but not all the time. Kirstea is the main one who spends a lot of time in Vegas, from what we can tell. And her results are not awesome. Wozniacki has tried to... Wozniacki has done it at some points. Um, do I think that this is the solution for Caroline to bring in more of those people sometimes? Um, she maybe talked to Cahill more. Cahill, I don't know how much she is available to her. Yeah. But Cahill is uh, obviously an asset if she can have, but... I think you do need to go sort of the route of a lean off. Get a big time coach for yourself. Get a Carlos Rodriguez. Get spend the money. Get the coach. The Thomas Yo Thomas Johan Thomas Johansson. Yeah. If she can get him on a more full time basis, great, great get. A but, name that believes in you. Yeah. yeah. One that's not you know want someone that you picked and picked you. Yeah. For which you don't get that necessarily with Adidas. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's a weird thing. I kind of, I just find the whole concept of a clothing company having coaches strange. It's not even that. My sense of it is, is very similar to kind of the dichotomy between public school and private school. Okay. So I feel like the Adidas Player Development Program is public, public school. school. Yeah, interesting. It's it's free. It's there. It's it's there for you to access. It can be good. Mm-hmm. I was a public school kid, so I'm not, yeah. believe me when I say I'm not capping on private, public school at all. Right. Uh, but that's not to say that there aren't better coaches in the private sector. Yeah. That you they pay directly. More. They they surely cost more. Yeah. Uh, but you pay directly who are loyal to you, who can coach you regardless of who you're playing. Can cater and, to your needs more. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, so, the coaching you uh, need, I mean, when Ivanovich made the 07 French Open final. Had to sit out. And had, and her coach, Grunefeld, I guess at that point. Had to had to not coach her because she was playing Enin, who was another Adidas player, who had her own coach in Carlos Rodriguez. Um, that that just rubbed me the wrong. I was like, what what's going on here? How is this helping Ivanovic whatsoever? She didn't get the coaching in the the Roland Garros 2008 final either. Yeah, Stefano, Stefano. Yeah. yeah, and then she you know so I I think I think that I'm not completely sold on it as a concept. I think some of the individual coaches they have are very strong, but I think the availability which they have there is not it's not ideal for something like elite a, a Wozniak. A Wozniak is an elite player, yeah. so I think that they do need more dedicated people. Agreed. But, yeah. Would you like another question? Let's hit me with another question, Courtney. Okay. Uh, this one is from at 
Tennessean. Okay. High uh, Tennessean. Yeah. So, Kerber, buy, sell, hold. Results were good, but with all the tennis she's played, is there enough left for a good run at the U.S. Open, Ben? I'm going to talk about Kerber a little bit. Um, the way he phrases it about the exhaustion factor for Kerber. Sure. Um, which I think is actually more an issue depending on what she does this week in Dallas. Um, mm -hmm. Where she's going next, ridiculously, after making the final here, getting plenty of match prep. Yeah. And we both asked her very sort of pointed questions about that in her presser after her final. Um, don't you feel like you already have enough matches? Well, yeah, I do already have a lot of matches. Okay, if you well, could, you think, take next week off? if you could, you could take next week off? Well, maybe, maybe I could, but I mean, she's under obligation there. It's an international tournament. She's not getting anything for winning it. It's not, it's not even a U.S. Open yeah. Series tournament. I mean, I, I think this is a not veteran move from her. She clearly, this is where she's showing a little bit her inexperience of being a top player is playing Dallas. So, I, I don't know that it really affects her U.S. Open that much. She's solid enough where I think she'll get through her first few rounds. Um, I believe she is playing doubles there yeah. at the U.S. Open yeah. with uh, Tamir Pashik. So we'll see how that goes and if how exhausted she is or not. But yeah, so uh, I we'll see. I I would not. I think her stock is pretty cheap, at, in terms of hype that she's so? getting around the world. Yeah, number six in the world. Yeah, I think okay. so. I I mean I think stock is less about um, rankings and more about odds, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's probably So true. in that sense, uh, depending on what her odds for yourself are, I would be open to buying her. I don't think I bought her previously, so it couldn't be holding. Fair. Definitely would not sell. Fair. You? No, I wouldn't sell. Uh, you know, I mean, there are moments where I, I, I watch Kerber's game where I am pretty un, unimpressed. Uh-huh. And then there are times where I do feel like, okay, now I get it. Yeah. Now I get why you are what you are. Yeah. and. A lot of it has to do with the idea, the the notion that that she is is a shot maker. Mm -hmm. She can do it. Uh, so I mean, buy, sell, hold. I would say hold. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't sell. I wouldn't buy, but because, and and this may be a bias that I have uh, within myself, which I don't know if it has risen, but offense wins. Yeah. Defense does not. And Kerber is defense. I, under I understand that philosophy. I don't buy it completely. It's just because we've seen... Who Who's won based on defense? I mean, one slams... There's such a small set of people who have won slams that it's hard to say. I think you can make an argument that someone like an Azarenka... No won with way. Not complete defense. She didn't but, win by defense. But she won with being solid. Solid is different than defense, though. I guess. I would never say that Kerber is solid. I would say she's more defensive. I would never say Wozniak is solid. I would say she's, she's defensive. Well, Kerber is more of a counterpuncher. Huh? Kerber is more of a counterpuncher. Yeah, which is why I give her more of a chance the other, than anyone else who's yeah. purely defensive. But in the dichotomy of if either you're offensive or defensive, Kerber clearly falls in the defensive end. Yeah. Fair. But I don't think I think defensive players have won in the past. Who? Sanchez. I've asked Sanchez, you all day. Sanchez I've, Vicario. Uh, that was like fucking forty years ago, dude. Kim Kleisters. No, but when Kim won, she was not defensive. At not all. completely, but she still had that in her. She was no. not. She. I don't buy Kim at all. Okay, fine, fine. 
I'm Fine. talking pure next, defense. Next question, Courtney. No, pure next question. Uh, so bitter. Okay. Next question is from, and last question. Okay. Better be a good one. Yeah, sure. It's a very good one. Um, from at TJC05. Okay. Hi, TJC05. Who has a Wisconsin avatar. Uh-huh. Okay. So the question is, three slams for both ATP and WTA all won by someone different this year. Yeah. Will the U.S. Open make four? If not, who takes home two slams this year? Um, I think we already sort of answered this slightly by default, but I would go Fed and Serena. Yeah. I mean, those are <clears throat> Wimbledon champions, the most recent champions, the strongest players, the, the active slam leaders on both tours. Sure. It's hard to really realistically act, actively um, pick someone over them. They might not win. Odds are both of them won't win. One of them won't win is, is what the odds are. It's just based yeah. on... They're not yeah. prohibitive, prohibitive favorites. Sure. But I can't justify picking anybody else over them at this point. Can you, yeah. Courtney? Uh, I think that... Yeah, I mean, Fed and Serena would be my favorites. Mm-hmm. By a very slim margin, though. Okay. I uh, I still do believe that the Djokovic and, and Murray can break through there. Yep. I think that. Uh, I mean, I do think that Novak's kind of history within these finals against top guys is a bit curious. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I don't understand how in the first set he just couldn't show up. That first set, we can talk more, but we didn't talk much about that match really. Like the final. Today. Yeah. I mean, he got bageled. Yes, he did. In a final, in 20 minutes. Novak Djokovic. points in 20 minutes. In a match um, of the number one and two players in the ATP, it was not competitive. Sure. What would we say about it if it was the WTA? Oh, the WTA is horrible. It's crashing and burning. This is pathetic. Yep, yep. And that's the problem. Yeah. People don't say about ATP. Right. People just say, wow, look how good Federer is. Yes. And with no tinge but whatsoever. there's no sense of like, oh, look at how good Serena is, or Kvitova. Or there, there is that, but there Maria. it comes. It comes with the undertow of no. But it comes up with Serena. Yeah. There is this general notion that Serena, at her best, is better than everybody else. Uh huh. But when it comes to like Lena, Kvitova, Sharapova, whoever, like there is this kind of overwhelming sense of like meh. Yeah, that's true. No, I mean Kvitova, Lena, Kerber for sure, um, Stoser have not kept Azarenka. Yeah, okay. Have not captured the public's imagination whatsoever. Radvanska. Yeah. Fair, fair, yeah. Um, maybe Radvanska had a little bit in her own way, actually. It's maybe not a little better than the other it's ones. It's a weird type of charm. Yeah, it's a weird. People, people respect the weirdness of sure. her game, the difference of her game. Yeah. Um, people yearn for someone who plays that kind of game, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We will see. And I guess we'll see you guys next time. Segway, exit. I hope you guys do very well with your watchings of the US Open. It's a little late. It's been a long week. I'm a little tired. Um, I hope you all enjoy the US Open. We'll talk to you at some point. Maybe we'll do a show when the draws come out or something. Probably not. Maybe. Maybe could not. Could do. Could do. Don't bank on it, people. Um, but we'll talk to you later. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for your questions. We appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Even um, if Ben's rude about it. I'm not rude at all. What are you talking about? <laughs>
She's putting words in my mouth, and I'm just gonna end this now.